from the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're back. How about a round of applause? Who are all these people, Father Critter? I actually can't tell who you are, a lot of you, because of these masks on. I'm really glad to have you here together, and it's so fitting that today is the Feast of Pentecost, and the, the lead-in is what I'm going to preach on. The first verse today is this idea that the, East, the Feast of Pentecost occurs when they, you, we, were all together in one place. I love that. How cool is that, that while the streaming services were interesting, it's, I will tell you, friends, I've had to learn, I'm learning many things as I get older in my life, thanks be to God. One of them is how to preach to a largely empty church and not make it obvious on camera. So uh, I'm going to check that off the bucket list. But, uh, you know, it's been cool to go through the streaming stuff, but I'm just really glad to have you here today. And again, to quote uh, Luke and Acts, that we were all gathered together in one place. And I want to sort of say something here about this. I've been saying it all Easter season, if you've been here and listening online or here. Easter season has been this idea of we're kind of this year because of the virus experiencing Easter, I think, in a new way, meaning it was quiet, it was subdued, it was individual, right? I've been saying that. And I think this Pentecost is actually kind of the same thing. Because here we are, just like then, now we are here now, gathered together in one place, kind of like that first Easter. And Luke goes through and gives us a whole group of people that are gathered together. You wouldn't know this unless you know anything about ancient Near Eastern geography, but there's Jews and Parthians and Medes and Elamites. I have no idea what an Elamite is, but I, they, were, they were there. And they were drawn together. All these people are drawn together by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you know anything about the first century, if you'd map those people groups with a, you know, a thumbtack on a map, you actually see the perimeter of the known world, the Roman Empire. That's what all those names of people mean. That everybody is gathered together in one place, just like we are now. And just like the ascension, last week I mentioned that Jesus' last words on earth were not, it is finished, but stay in Jerusalem, I'll be right back. That was his words from last week. Don't move, I'll be right back. And this Pentecost, we begin to see that occur in two phases. The first phase, of course, when Christ returns is Pentecost, which we're going to talk about today. The coming and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit amongst his church. That's step number one. That's already happened and continues to unfold. Step number two, when Christ says, I'll be right back, is his second coming, when he comes with power and great glory, which could happen at any moment. But today, we're going to focus on the coming of the Holy Spirit in three points today. I want to look at the breath of God. What does that even mean, right? The breath of God, the fire of God, and the skepticism of the world. Three points kind of a new thing, right? Three points, the, the breath of God, the fire of God, and the skepticism of the world. So I want to look at first thing is this idea of the breath or the wind of God. Um, what you might not know is that Pentecost is actually a Jewish feast day. It wasn't a church holiday. It was a, a feast day in Jerusalem where everybody would gather together. It is 50 days after Passover, incidentally, just like Easter, because they're coterminous, and 50 days after that, people would have gone home and planted their crops and come back to Jerusalem, bringing their crops in, 
and they would lay them in the temple, and it was literally a party. So Pentecost, that's why all these people are gathered there. Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and so forth, they're all in Jerusalem because they, as Jews, and even non-Jews are in on the gig, they come from all over the all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate God and to party. And this is where things begin to get really, really interesting. Listen to this. Luke says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, like we are here. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, one minor detail, but it's important. It's a sound of a wind. It's not a wind. There's no wind blowing around. It's a sound of like a thunderstorm. But the the thing I want you to see here is that in the Jewish mind, this idea of wind is incredibly, incredibly important. Here's why. In the Jewish mind, the breath of God, the wind of God, it's the same Hebrew word, ruach, means breath or wind. This wind, this breath of God, listen, is a creative force. It's a creative force. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. In the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the book, the very first sentence of the book, of the bo- entire Bible, the world, the world was formless and void, darkness covers the deep, and the wind of God rushes over the waters and stuff is created. That's that wind of God, the breath of God. Again, in Genesis chapter 2, next paragraph, what does God do? He takes a lump of dirt, red clay, technically, and he breathes into it, and he creates the first human being, Adam. The point I want you to see here is that this idea of breath, this idea of God's wind, is a creative force. And so what the important thing to realize at Pentecost is that God is doing something big. The question is, what is it? What is it he is creating? And what he's creating, friends, is us. Is us, you, me, us together, the church. That Feast of Pentecost, sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church, it's true. That when the Holy Spirit rushes into these 12 apostles and they are speaking in language, they're speaking actually the same language. The change is not in the speaker, the change is in the hearer. I'll get to that in a second. But what's happening is God is creating this new thing, the church. Let me just stop on that for one second and ask you a really important question. It's kind of a sad question, actually. What exactly is the church? What exactly is it? Is it, is it one more nonprofit organization, a social justice organization out to you know, advocate for whatever cause de, you know, cause de jour? Is it, a, a, is, it a group, is it basically a, a group of religious people that get together like to talk about God and put a cross on top of basically what's a, a, a YMCA? No. No. I think, I'm convinced of this, part of the problem why the church is in decline in the West is we've forgotten what we are. And what we are, friends, is a supernatural society, a group of people called out of the world by the power of God, infused by his Holy Spirit to change the world, to convert souls to the faith of Jesus Christ. That is our mission, period. And yet, it's interesting, do you notice, we see it as these people are all gathered together. The apostles speak. They're Galileans. They're fishermen from Galilee. They can't speak Elamites, or whatever they speak in Elam, I don't know. But the thing is, listen to this, and and I'll make a point that's going to, I think, hit you. As these men are speaking, 
The change is not in the speaker. The change is in the hearer. I've been to lots of church services where they'll, they'll read the Pentecost gospel and they'll do it in English and then Spanish and then whatever. Different languages. Like, no, that's not the point. The point isn't that the, point isn't that the speaker changes. It's the point that the hearer changes. Let me point this to you. You'll see what I mean in a second. Have you ever, have you, you ever heard a sermon where you thought to yourself, my gosh, that guy's talking right to me. Ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. You ever hear someone preaching? It does not be me. It can be anybody. But it doesn't matter who it is. The point is the speaker isn't the important piece, you see. What's happening is if you are listening to something being spoken, or you're reading something, or I'm preaching, or Father Gritter, or Father Switzer, whomever is preaching, and you go, my goodness, they're talking right to me. Guess what? It's not me. It's you. It's the Holy Spirit changing you. Because between the speaker, the apostles, and the hearers on that Pentecost, between me, or the preacher, and you, even now, between us is the Holy Spirit. And he is the one, friends, who changes the heart. So here's the question. How has God's Holy Spirit, which dwells here even now, we are in a post-Pentecost world, how has the Holy Spirit changed your heart, enabled you, enabling you to understand the Christian faith in a way you never did before, changing you from where you were to where you are now. And if you don't know, ask your friends, because I bet they do. People come here from all over, right? People come to this church from all over. I mean, not Parthia and Elam and residents of Mesopotamia, <laughs> but we do get New Jerseyans and Michiganers and Pennsylvanians and Floridians, and they all come here. And you know what they say? They say, you know, I say, what brought you to Trinity Church? And they always say, uh, it was the coffee, right? No. <laughs> they say, we just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit here. It's true, friends. And you know why? Because we take this call seriously. We know, Trinity, who we are. We are people empowered by the presence, literally, of the Holy Spirit. It's God's wind, his creative force. It's alive even now. The second thing I want to sing is if God's wind is a creative force then and now, let's look at this idea of the power, the fire of God. Again, fire and wind. Sounds like a 60s band, earth, wind, and fire. Anyway, fire and wind, right? I could not pick one earth and wind fire song if I had to, but that's another matter. But fire is also a really important image in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, fire is a symbol of God's presence. I'll give you one example, but there's lots. There's lots of them. I'll give you an example. You know the story of Moses and the burning bush, right? The bush isn't burning. It's like the bush was like it was burning. There was something weird about it. It was God's presence was there. And so we see, when, and again, if you're a first century Jew, you know that wind means something is being created. This is something big. And fire is the presence of God. And what we see is tongues of fire, like tongues of fire. It's not a fire. Resting on the head of the 12 apostles. Did you ever notice in the, in the uh, Episcopal Church and the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, uh, that's not true, in the, Roman, in the Western Rite, Romans and Anglicans, bishops wear a pointy hat. You ever see that? It's called a mitre. And the mitre is symbolic of the flame of the Holy Spirit being present on the apostles. 
This fire, this presence of God is the creative power of God and the presence of God given to the church, given to you and me. And let me, let me challenge that for a second. Paul writes, Paul says this in chapter 1st of Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1st Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This idea of the presence of the Holy Spirit being creating you but also being in you. He says this, do you not know, it's a rhetorical question, but it's a true one. Paul says, do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That's an outrageous thing for a Jew to say, by the way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, part of the reason why the church is in decline is we forget that, man. We don't really believe it. We don't really believe that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do we live like it? Do you realize, do you realize that Pentecost is so important when it tells us, friends, that the presence of God, the Spirit of God dwells within you and not in some stupid, sentimental, hallmarky way, but in a way that changes your life and the way that manifests His power through your life. So let me ask you, do you live like a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you live as God's temple? A temple is where God lives. A dwelling place. Does God dwell within you? See, Pentecost isn't about the Holy Spirit's presence on the church 2,000 years ago. It's about the presence of the Holy Spirit in God's church. Even now, even in you. Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you know? Well, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? Do you gossip? Do you tear people down? How do you set your priorities? Or do you build other people up? Are you, a, are you a person who bears Christ to other people? Do you stand out? Or are you the occasional Christian where your faith is only one of many things that defines you? Friends, if, you're, if your colleagues and coworkers and people you play golf with or hang out with don't know you're a Christian, that's not good. See, Pentecost shows us, friends, the creative power of the wind of God within us, the creative power of the presence of fire of God within us, and then finally, we see the world's rejection. Did you notice something interesting here? It says uh, in, in Acts chapter 1 that these people are, you know, the, the apostles are, are speaking, and, every, and they're hearing this, this voices being, there's no refuting the fact that people are hearing languages that these men are not speaking. Even the, non, even the non-believers that are there, there's no refuting the evidence and you know what some of the people say? Some of them say, this is an amazing thing. What's going on here? I can't believe it. This, this is irrefutable evidence. And other people say, yeah, you know what? They're just filled with new wine. You know what that means? They're drunk on the cheap stuff. That's what it means. And in fact, what it probably means, new wine, is wine which has not yet sort of progressed all the way. And so what they probably mean is these people have been drinking all night, and they're just wrapping up a hard night of partying. That's my point. The thing I want you to see here is that the world, then and now, will look at you and do one of two things. Either go, man, I want what you've got, or they're going to say, you know what, you're, you're crazy. And friends, the evidence in a changed life is irrefutable. It's irrefutable. The evidence of, the, of your life being changed is irrefutable, but the people who see it, how will they react? Well, some will believe you. Some will be changed by your presence. Some of them will tell you, you're crazy. Others mocking said, they're just filled with new wine. 
But friends, let me just say something to you. You got to just get over that, man. It's always been that way. It's always been that way, and it always will. If your friends mock you for being a Christian, guess what? You're in good company. At least they're not chopping your heads off and lighting you on fire like what happened in the first century. But here's the thing I want you to I just want you to really think about this on Pentecost. It's not a faraway uh, exercise in history. It's the thing which happens in your heart today. Do people see a change in you? Do you, does your wife or husband or your kids see a change in you that defies explanation? Well, are you drunk for Christ? Figuratively speaking, of course. Well, if people question you, and they will, just tell them. You know, interestingly, Scripture never tells us to teach. Well, that's not true. Preachers are called to preach. We are all called, actually, the word is witness. Do you ever think about that? We're all called to be witnesses for Christ, which doesn't mean you have to be able to, you know, conjugate uh, Greek verbs or decline Greek nouns or no syntax and all that. No. Your job as a Christian is to be a witness. And a witness says, hey, look, man, I was blind and now I see. I'm a changed person and all I can tell you is Jesus did it. Are you willing to stand there? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be a person who is held accountable and witness to the change that God's Holy Spirit is making in you right now? I'm going to leave you with the scripture which has been banging around in my mind all week about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So I challenge you to think about what Pentecost means in your own heart, in your own life. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... That's you. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, look, the new has come. I say to you now, friends, our call is to live like it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit given to us, your church, to empower us, to call us out, to strengthen us, to do your will. I thank you, Lord, for gathering your church here together in one place under the power of your Holy Spirit to be with each other, to stand alongside each other, to worship you, and to thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for his strengthening and his courage, even as we wait for Christ to return and finish the job. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Mm